Romans chapter 8, verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Christ, raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him father we do thank you for your word we ask lord that you would help us lord as we study this text may your spirit illuminate the meaning may you soften our hearts lord and help us to understand how this passage applies to our lives and we pray this in christ's good name amen well i absolutely love that this passage fell on father's day um, whenever this happens, I'd like to stand up here and say, well, I really planned it out, you know, last fall when Larry asked me if we could do Romans this year. And I said, yes. And I, you know, I figured out when Father's Day was and I lined up everything to work it out just right. That's not how it happened. It just happened to, to fall today. And it, it really is a tremendous text on this Father's Day. I, I don't really uh, preach topically or cover holidays when they come up. I don't even know the history of Father's Day. My speculation is, is that there was Mother's Day, and then 50 years later, 100 years later, like, hey, we need an excuse to do something, like, we, to, to go watch football or whatever it is that we can do. Um, but, but this text is super important for us uh, because it really is, in some respects, Christianity 101. Not how to become a Christian, but, but what does it mean once we're a Christian? And we'll see in this passage that, that, that being a Christian in its most elementary understanding is to become children of God. And that we have this father, that we've been adopted into his family. It, it truly is beautiful. And I, I, I backed up and I'm, I'm going to recover what we covered last week. In verse 9 he begins, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. This verse is super critical. I, as a child, I attended church. Um, I, I would go to religious things. I would feel sort of, um, if you asked me growing up, what are you religiously? I would say I was a Christian because, you know, I'm an American. I, I don't, I don't even think I knew what Islam was as a kid. I, did, I, I wasn't Jewish. That was probably the other faith I was aware of. And I wasn't, I don't think, I, I don't even know that I knew what atheist was. I'm an American, so I'm a Christian. 
because we go to church a couple times a year and and we didn't even really do a lot of weddings in churches that I remember up. But I had a picture of me being baptized as a baby, so I was a Christian, or so I thought. This passage makes it very clear that one is a Christian who has the Spirit of God in them. It says, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now the question is, is does the Spirit of God dwell in you? Because look at what it says. It continues. It says, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him, meaning Christ. Now, that's a pretty clear line of demarcation in the sand that, that we should come to understand. And so the question is, is how do we know that we have the spirit of God? I think it took me going to seminary to figure this one out. Not, not, not because I was searching to figure it out, but because in seminary they started going through doctrine and explaining truths of God. And so what is a Christian? How does one become a Christian? Is it going to church? Is it hanging out with Christians? Is it being American? Is it being born into a Christian family? It's none of those things. Those things may play into your becoming a Christian. But if you would turn to me, turn with me over to Ephesians chapter three or chapter one. And in Ephesians chapter one, we see sort of, it's probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it sort of explains Christianity in its most basic form and so in ephesians 1 13 we read in him that's christ you also so we know that the we know that the people that paul is writing in ephesus they are believers in christ he, he's explaining to them what has happened he says you also after listening to the message of truth the gospel of your of your salvation so he says you've heard the gospel uh, he, he's going backwards to them. He said, at one point you heard the gospel. Well, what's the gospel? I have, man, if you asked me years ago, I would say, I don't know, good news. Isn't that what it means? Well, what's the good news? Well, the gospel is defined in the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 very clearly. We're told that the gospel is that Jesus died according to the scriptures for our sins, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose from the grave according to the scriptures. That according to the scriptures lets us know that in the whole Old Testament, it wasn't some new idea that the Messiah would come and that he'd suffer, he'd die, and that he would be buried and then he'd rise again. He says this has been prophesied for all of the years. You go back to Genesis 3.15 and you see the promise of the Messiah. And so we're told that the Messiah came, that he was perfect, the, the lamb without a blemish, and that he went to the cross and as he was nailed to the cross and his life was taken from him, we're told that the reason that that happened was as a penalty for our sins. He stood in our place and took the wrath that was due us. That's the gospel. Now, the problem is, is just knowing the gospel doesn't save you. I'll never forget a few years ago uh, talking or really it was through instant messenger on like Yahoo instant messenger. A friend of mine said, hey, can you talk to this guy? He's a military guy. He's, he's struggling with his faith. He, has some, he, he doesn't know what's going wrong. And so there I was in La Mesa on my computer. I think Anna was like cooking dinner at the time. And I'm just kind of texting back and forth saying, hey, this is sort of random, but I'm Gunner. I'm the pastor. Your friend said to contact you. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been waiting for you to contact me. So I started asking him what's going on. And, and, and the way he's talking, I'm not really sure if he's a believer or not. I said, well, are you a Christian? And he said, yeah, yeah. Like, he, he, he presented the whole gospel. He said all of the facts about Christianity. 
He, he knew that Jesus had come, that Jesus had m- made payment for his sins. And he'd said all of this stuff, and I'm sitting there kind of shaking my head going, this stuff, something's not clicking. And I wrote back to him and I said, you know, you, you gave me all of the facts, but have you ever actually believed in Jesus for, like, for salvation? Have you trusted in him? Have you given him your life by faith? And then it just was like silent. I mean, it was always silent because we we're typing back and forth, but he stopped writing. And I remember calling Anna. I'm like, hey, Anna, start praying because I... I'm totally not an evangelist. Like, I just don't really lead people to Christ. That's not really my gig. My gig is teaching the Bible. Although I'm called to be an evangelist, but it's not my gifting. And so I'm like, I think this guy's like not a Christian. And I think he's thinking about it. And I was like, hey, are you still there? And he's like, yeah, I, I, uh, I think I'm going to do it. And I'm like, do what? Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, no, I've never trusted in Christ. I've never, I know all the facts. And he says, I'm going to do it. And then like, Three minutes later, he's like, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, what happened? I believed. And I'm like, well, hey, welcome to the club. You're a believer now. And, and look what Paul says. After hearing the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So we're told that we can hear the gospel, you can know the gospel, but it doesn't become effective for salvation until you respond by faith. Now, some people will say, well, that's a work. And you're saying that you need works for salvation. Because if we turn the page over to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, we read, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You can't do anything to earn your salvation. But they say, but if, if it requires faith, that's a work. And so then I go to my favorite story, which I think I told last week. Deadliest Catch, one of the greatest shows. These Alaskan crab fishermen in the Bering Sea, they are tough. Like I watched this as a former Navy SEAL going, I don't think I could do that. Like these guys are crazy. Half of them are missing fingers and they don't like. And so this one episode, this guy falls overboard into the Bering Sea without his protective suit. And it's panic because you have less than three minutes of before you die because of the the, the coldness of the water. Thankfully, there was another boat coming out of the harbor. They're like, we can get there within a minute. They get there within a minute. They throw the life ring to him. He grabs onto the life ring. They haul him in. They immediately, because he's lost all function of his body, they have to strip him out down to nakedness. They wrap a blanket on him. They give him a cup of coffee. And he's like convulsing, just going, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys saved my life. They saved my life. He didn't say, oh, I saved myself because I grabbed that life ring. That would be foolishness. The, the same thing with Jesus. He, 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 he came. He, he paid the penalty for us. He's offered us the gift. Us reaching the life ring through faith is not a work. Because we couldn't do anything. All we, all we do is we see the, what he did. And we can either reject it or believe in it. And, and the reality is our default is we've rejected it until we change our position. And so in Ephesians, he says, after hearing the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed. Once you believe, we're told that the spirit of God indwells you, that you're sealed. It's irrevocable. That you're there until the day of redemption going into verse 14. And so when we go back to Romans and we look at Romans chapter 8, verse 9. 
And Paul writes this. He says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. When I see this verse, it stops me in the tracks because it's the question is paramount. Do you have the spirit of God within you? It's not a trick question. It's simply, have you believed in Christ? Have you trusted in him for salvation? If you answer yes to that, the Bible makes it clear that you've been sealed by the spirit, that, that he's in you. He's assuring you of your salvation, that you stand confident. He continues, if Christ is in you, verse 10, though the body is dead because of sin. Remember chapter 7, Paul's been explaining that apart from Christ, we just have the carne asada. I mean the flesh, sorry, carne, just the meat. It's getting close to lunchtime. I like carne asada. But there's the meat, our sinful nature, that we're in Adam. Then when we believe in Christ, it's not that our sin nature, our flesh goes away. It's that the spirit of God dwells our body. And now there's two roommates within us that hate one another, that are at war with one another, battling. And Paul, as the apostle, is the man that God is using to write scripture. He shares with us very intimately his, his struggle and transparently that that the things that he, he wants to do, he doesn't do. The things he doesn't want to do, those things he does. He, he knows in his mind that he testifies with the law of God that it's good. But as he tries to live out his faith in the flesh, he just can't do it. And he ends up in Romans chapter 7 verse 24 saying, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God through Lord Jesus Christ. This is beautiful. That Jesus is the answer. The spirit of God has been mentioned, I think, four times in all of Romans. Then we get to Romans chapter 8. And I think I'm getting all the numbers mixed, matched in my head. I would have had it perfectly. But I think it's last week. But I forgot last week. We've moved on. But I think it's like 19 or 20 or maybe 30 times that the Holy Spirit is mentioned in chapter 8. That's the key to living out the Christian life. And he says that if Christ is in you, verse 10, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness, not your own righteousness, Christ's righteousness that's been credited to your account. But if the spirit of him whom raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's powerful. I don't think that I can understand this. Because what Paul says, what the Bible tells me, sinner gunner, that's done all kinds of sinful things, now has the Holy Spirit that he resides in me. This is the Holy Spirit, a part of the Godhead, who raised Jesus from the dead, is now within me leading my life. That's, that's, huh. My brain freezes. It seizes with that, trying to understand, trying to under, comprehend what he's saying. He says, because the spirit of God dwells in you, verse 12, we see so then or therefore. Because the spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead now is dwelling within you, empowering you to live out the Christian life, not in your own strength, but in his. 
It says, so then, brethren, we are under obligation. Uh, literally, that we're debtors. That, that, that we have a debt. I, I see this, and I, you know, I've watched some cowboy movies. I'm not an expert in cowboy movies, but I always remember as a kid seeing the cowboy movies. That if you were like in a gun battle or something happened where you were going to die and somebody intervened and saved your life, you like owed your life to them for the rest of your life. That you, you owed it to them because, the, because every day that you lived beyond that was only because of their intervention. And, and normally the person that was responsible, it wasn't like they, they lorded this over them, but it was sort of like they understood that because of this individual on this moment, that every day that they go forward, every, every day is a gift. Often I share about my friend, the student. Uh, um, I, have, I have a blanket on the lame right now. How am I forgetting on this? What's that? Maya, Michael Monsour, a student of mine, who, who a few years ago, he was awarded the Medal of Honor posthumously that, that he, as he jumped on the hand grenade that went in the room and gave his life to save the life of those, those three or four other guys who I was good friends with, those guys' lives have been, it's not the same. They recognize that the life that they have today was only because of the action of that man. And so they feel indebted to him. But he's dead. He's in the grave. There's nothing that he can do, they can do to repay him. There's nothing at all other than live their life fully in gratitude. And, and so this debtedness, it, it isn't this idea that we're paying back God for anything because we can't. And it, it strikes me as odd that when he says that we're, brethren, we are under obligation, we are debtors. You would think that the next phrase that he would say is to explain what we're indebted to or, or who we're indebted to or what our responsibility is. But he goes to the negative. Notice he says we are debtors. We're not under obligation to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, flesh, you must die. (laughs) I just say, doesn't this seem a little harsh? We're going to start going around the church. Everybody's going to the church. We're just going to pull out a gun and just shoot them. You must die. You're living according to the flesh. That's what it sort of seems like it uh, but the reality here is I, I, I it's more that if you live according to the flesh the flesh leads to death and ultimately death is separation I, I, this can't mean losing your salvation because remember chapter 8 verse 1 what did we read therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus When we were justified by faith, we were declared righteous. Not that we actually were righteous. We didn't earn our salvation by works. We can't lose our salvation by works. We are saved through faith in Christ alone. And the Spirit seals us. However, as Christians throughout the Bible, if we live according to the flesh, we can see that God will take believers home who are walking in sin that if they're in sin first uh, corinthians chapter three paul says we're gonna we're gonna let this person go out according to the flesh under the control of satan so that god may destroy his flesh yet save his soul and here he says if you live by the flesh you must die or you're going to die 
And as we as Christians walk according to the flesh, our relationship with God is broken. Not our salvation, but our, our fellowship, our koinonia. That we want to walk in relationship. It's, a, it's better to walk according to the spirit because there's life there. Notice what he says. He says, but if by the spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Where, where this is going. Actually, let's go there. Verse 14. For all of you who are being led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. When we see sons in our culture, the whole gender distinction, sometimes it sometimes in the Bible, when you see it, say sons or, or brothers, it could mean brothers and sisters or sons and daughters. But here. I'm trying to be careful here because I ran this by Anna. And she's like, what are you talking about? She's like, it didn't make sense until you got to the very end. So I'm running the risk of confusing you all for a little while, but it should come into clarity. When he says sons here, he very clearly means sons in the masculine sense. We don't want to replace this word with daughters. And I'll show you that even you women here are sons of God. Don't get freaked out yet. This has everything to do with, with, with being heirs and, and, and entitlements that come as part of being in the family of God. In the culture that Paul wrote, daughters had no inheritance. They, they had nothing. The, everything passed through the son. To be adopted in was very common. Often Caesars would adopt a son to take over for him, to carry on the responsibility. And so, so here, if we're in Christ, we have the spirit of God, we become heirs. This is where it gets tricky in my mind. I'm like, where, where how, how do I piece this together to make it the most understanding? Sometimes I feel sorry for the first service because things click together after going through the first service and they, but so if we're children of God, we're, we're sons of God through faith. We've received the spirit. We've been moved from the body of Adam into the body of Christ. He says, for you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. We need to understand this, that we are children of God through faith in Christ. Our culture so often, we see it all the time, but we're all, we're all God's children. And in one sense, that's true because we're all created by God. But there's a difference in being adopted as a son of God through faith in Christ. There's a distinction. Those apart from Christ are not children of God, according to the scripture. Those in Christ, those who, those who have placed their faith in Christ become children. That they cry out, Abba, Father. Which we miss this. I wish the English would have translated this Abba Daddy or Abba Papa. This is an Aramaic word that was used then and it's still used now in Israel. When I went to Israel for the first time, I was like desperate to like everywhere I went. I was just like looking for kids. Come on, say it, kid. And I wasn't hearing it anywhere. All I wanted to hear was a little Jewish kid say Abba. So I could say when I was back home, I could say, oh, yeah, when you're in Israel, just like everybody said, you, you see this kid say Abba and it just melts your heart. And you just and I'm like, so I wanted to be able to play that card. 
It wasn't happening for me. Everywhere, I'm like, you know, I was practically like grabbing kids in the elevator. Will you just say Abba? That's a joke. But I want, and I didn't see it anywhere till the last day. And on the last day, I don't even remember where I was. I know I was in southern Israel near Gaza, but it was, had something to do with Abraham. I wasn't paying attention because as the teacher was teaching, behind him was this like 18-month-old little girl. Her hair was a total mess. She had boogers all down her face. She had a diaper and flip-flops on. And her diaper was obviously full because it was like shaking off her hips. And behind the guy teaching, all we saw was this 18-month little girl running with her hands up waddling back and forth saying abba 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 daddy daddy i need you we're like all in tears like we saw it it's beautiful it's just a little baby calling abba the guy was teaching saying oh man i'm a great teacher look i got him all in tears had nothing to do with him but this little girl and it started to hit me, maybe because I was looking for it. You know, I kind of went in there. I wanted to see it. But, but then becoming a dad and having my own little girls and a little boy and to, to see how they interact with me. That, that I'm thankful for my kids. Like, I love them to death, obviously. But, but even like on Friday night when we go to the baseball game. And, and there's all sorts of people. And I tend to be like a, a protective one. And I, I like rules. So I, I really like we're big on like obedience in our house. And and so but as the girls have grown, they're very obedient, like from their heart, not because there's an iron fist over them. And then as they're obedient, there's like almost more freedom. And so at the baseball game, kind of walking around, letting them kind of like my instinct is like to catch him every time, but to let them start falling and to you know, getting hurt because there's growth that happens there. But, but to be able to walk around the baseball game and see my girls kind of playing, but they also, they're kind of keeping their eye on me, but I can see them and I can see that they're doing what I want them to do. It brought me so much joy. And then to see them, at, you know, just to run up and grab hold of me and to jump into my arms. This is the idea that God wants from us, that that, that he's, he's a God that's personal, that, that he loves us. He, when he wants his children, those who have trusted in him and follow him by faith, the, the way he wants to be known by them is by daddy, father, papa. I think of John in 1 John 2.26, when, when he's saying abide in him, abide in him, be, walk closely with him so that when he appears, you don't have to shrink away in shame. But that you can just reach out and crawl into his arms like a little kid would do to their father. It's beautiful. And so in this passage, I'm trying to, you know, sorting through. That can be kind of difficult if we go kind of word by word. He's essentially saying now that you're children of God. The the way to truly live and to experience life is to lean upon him. Allow him to work through you. You're no longer obligated to the flesh. See, the flesh, that's your, that's your old family. But you've been adopted. Now that you've been adopted by the Father, you have no obligation to the flesh. When you, even in our culture, if you're a child that has been adopted by a parent, either mother, father, 
whether it's like one parent or both parents, when you're adopted, your old parent has no say. Your, your, your biological DNA parent has no say in your life because you've been adopted. You're under obligation to the parent who adopted you. And so we who are in Christ, we are not under obligation to the old life. Romans chapter 6, we are told that we died to our old nature. And that death brings life. But then living for the flesh brings death. They're, they're counterintuitive. But Paul, through the, through the Spirit, is encouraging us to be led by the Spirit. When Romans chapter 8 ends, which we're coming to shortly, there's a lot of Romans chapter, for the theologians in here, like the two of you in here with me, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 presents some, how does it fit? Everybody sort of picks up that, that 12 sort of connects to chapter 8, but, but I won't really fully, I won't really understand 9, 10, and 11 until I actually teach through it. I mean, I have my ideas now, but I really learn the Bible when I teach it. But if we fast forward to 12, if 9 through 11 end up sort of being a parenthetical thought dealing with Israel. And we pick up in 12 as Paul leads us through Romans 1 through 8 and then or really through 11 dealing with mostly doctrine in these truths. Then we come to Romans chapter 12 and it's sort of the tipping point in Romans. Romans 12 through the end become very practical, very instructional. Because of the doctrine, because of the truth that we know, it should work itself out in our lives this way. And he begins with this. He says, therefore, because of everything I've written up to this point, I urge you. He's pleading with the believers in Rome who he's never met. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Circle mercies. If you write in your Bible, it's not the the heavy fist of God. The mercy, meaning that God withholds punishments and discipline that's due us. That he's leading us on by his mercies. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy. Holy, we we have to get this out of of our mind. maybe Maybe it's of my Catholic upbringing where... Where to be a saint means that you've died, and then after your death, you've you've created a bunch of miracles, which is totally not biblical. The Bible makes it clear that a saint is one who is in Christ. You've been set apart, which is holy, like a, like a tool that's set apart for a special purpose. He said, "Present your bodies. It's an offering. Your bodies, your life, a living offering." All of the sacrifices before were (laughs) like death. We've already died because we identified ourselves with Christ. Now we're alive. And so offer your life to Christ. This holy sacrifice set apart, acceptable to God, which is your, your spiritual service of worship, which could be translated reasonable. It's reasonable for us who are in Christ to live our lives for him. That's not an unrealistic expectation. And then he goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind 
so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, going back a few chapters, back to Romans chapter 8, when I, when I see this, this, this picture that we're, we're debtors to the Spirit, we're debtors to God because he's done so much for us. Don't live according to the flesh. It's fascinating to me that the Bible get, like, reveals that, the, that those who follow after God, that they have, a, they have a choice, choices daily to make. Will I follow after my Lord or will I follow after the flesh? This is believers. And the Bible encourages us, follow after the spirit. But then in our flesh, which I see in Romans chapter 7, in our flesh, we want to do it. I want to read my Bible. This is going to be the year that I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. I've never pulled it off, but I've made the commitment. I mean, I've read through the Bible. It has taken me a lot longer than a year, but I've made that commitment. No, this is the year. This is the year. I've said it from here. So I confess and I repent. I didn't do it. I fell short. I must have made that obligation. I don't know. But every January. <laughs> and I, I want to, in my flesh, live out the Christian life. And, and we can't do it. We can't. So you say, well, how do we do it? Well, back here, look what it says. It says, Verse 14, for all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. The, the, the secret is not forcing it. it. The Christian life is about yielding. Which I'm still figuring it out, so hopefully I don't confuse you guys. But the, the idea of the spirit of God is working with you. God is working in your life. God desires you to go a certain direction because he knows how... He knows you. He created you. He, he's created you for good works that, that he's prepared beforehand. He, he's trying to lead you in this path. But at the same time, he's so gracious. He says, you don't have to follow after. You could do, do you go this way or go this way. If you go this way, you're going to be miserable. You might have some short time satisfaction, some short time fun. But ultimately, if you keep choosing that choice, it's going to lead to death and a broken life and broken relationships. And, but follow after me and there's life. And so we submit ourselves to him. And so many of the things like reading the Bible is something that we want to do, not because we've placed this law on ourselves that we're trying to be more spiritual this year. No, Lord, I want to know what you have to say. If I just read one verse, that's okay. But Lord, would you speak to me through this? And so as we're reading, we're not reading as like a book, but we're we're reading as in a dialogue with the Lord. Lord, I'm about to read. Would, would you illuminate this text? I don't pray before I preach just because that's what you're supposed to do. I Because as I preach, it's like, Lord, help us to get what you're saying. May your spirit lead us and guide us. Then as we're opening ourselves and allowing his word to speak to us, he's going to move in our life. And so figuring out, you know, Ephesians 2 and 8, it's not about salvation. It's, it's grace alone. But then we're, we're created for good works. And so how do we figure out what God's created us for? We'll just start serving. It was my father-in-law that told me early on in my Christian life, I didn't even know that I wanted to marry his daughter. I didn't know he had a daughter. I didn't know that they were connected. It worked out really good for me. <laughs> I'll let him answer it for his own behalf. But 
But, but I remember what he said is like, I, I really felt compelled to serve. But because I had all of these great excuses of why I couldn't serve or I couldn't get in more involved. And I tell you that our excuses are great. It's not just me. Like my, I was an active duty Navy SEAL. Certainly I can't be volunteering at church. I've been on the road a bunch of times. You know, I've got all these good reasons. All of our reasons are great of why we can't serve him. But he said something. He said, you know what? You can't steer a parked car. Think about that. You can't steer a parked car. Well, how does that apply to the Christian life? That means, well, maybe you're gone. All, you know, I was gone probably 30 weeks out of the year. But those weeks that I was there, they're like, hey, how about you just shake people's hands and greet them as they come into the church? Well, I can do that. I had no idea that that would be a pipeline to becoming a pastor. was shaking people's hands and smiling and saying, welcome to the church. I hope you have a blessed day. That's all I did. And then from there, God said, well, hey, well, maybe, that wasn't God that said, I thought, hey, maybe I'll try out the children's ministry. Do you want to know why I tried out the children's ministry? Because she was working in the children's ministry. But it didn't take me long to realize it's like, well, I really like her, but man, these kids, it's not for me. It's, <laughs> I don't have that gift. I mean, I like my own kids and stuff, but hey, kids are just crazy. And I see myself in them and I just like, it's just not my thing. So then I thought, well, maybe I'll try out music. I'll try to go for like the worship. So I bought, I bought a guitar and it was purple. And so I started showing her, but you know, I did that because she led worship and her favorite color was purple. So I thought maybe if I should get a purple guitar and I start trying to strum along, you, you want to know how far that went? Not very far. That was not my thing, but, but, but I was trying. I'm like, man, I run out of options. Then finally I started teaching the Bible and guess what? It worked out like it worked. But it was after a bunch of me like, no, Lord, I'll serve you. What opportunities are before me? I'll volunteer here. I'll get involved. And then as I, as I tried these things, he then was leading me because my heart was there. And not because I was trying to force it, because if I force it, I get into the flesh. And we have to guard ourselves in service because you can start out following after the Lord. And then it can turn into you doing it in your own flesh. Okay, back to the text here. I don't even know where I was. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, verse 15, leading to fear again. And that's what religion does. God wants a relationship. He starts on one end with slavery. And on the end of the sentence, it's daddy. He's not our taskmaster. He wants a relationship with us. He's working in you. He loves you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And maybe you didn't have the best relationship with your earthly father. I didn't for a number of reasons. And so I felt like if I, if, if I did good, he loved me. And this is just for my perception. And if I, if I didn't do good, he didn't love me. He wasn't happy. I got in trouble, but I got attention. And I found out that I was way better at, at folly and getting in trouble. So I went down that path. And so I got a lot of attention from my dad and parents and stuff growing up because I was constantly getting in trouble. But see, then we come to God with this idea that he'll only love us if we do this. And that's not at all the case. He loves you because he created you. He, he knew you before he created the world. He knew everything about you. He loves you. He, uh, being a dad, when I see these little girls like run up to me and jump in my arms, it brings great joy. 
And they don't jump in my arms because they say, hey, I want you to go jump in my arms and do this at this time of the day and do this, whatever. They, 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 they jump into my arms because they love me and I love them. And this is what God wants for us. But as we start following after, we start going after his lead. Satan starts saying, oh, but you did. Don't you remember that abortion? Don't you remember that drunkenness? Do you remember those tattoos and how you got those tattoos? Can't love you. But look at verse 16. I love it. The assurance. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. It just came to me that if we were to go to Revelation somewhere in Revelation, I don't have the mark. I think it's in 20. That Satan is there day and night accusing us before the father of all of our sins. But we have the world's greatest attorney and his name is Jesus Christ, the advocate standing there. He says, I paid for that. I paid for that. I paid for that. They're mine. The spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. I wish I, I wish, I don't know, maybe I don't wish I, we, we read this, but but an heir, when somebody dies and they start reading the will and 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 the estate starts getting divvied out to people. I don't know how this works with God, but all I know is that we're we're told that we're in his will, his children of God. This is awesome. That's as far as I can go. All I know is it's good, but, but we're full legitimate children. He goes on to say. If indeed we suffer with him. Now, I'm not going to unpack this because the next few weeks in Romans chapter eight, he's going to start talking about the suffering as a Christian. And how we as followers of Christ are to to handle and to understand persecution that comes our way. I'm afraid that the church in America has strayed in its understanding from what it means to suffer for Christ and how we're to respond I'll never forget at the Rock Church way, way, way back in the early years. And there was a pastor from somewhere in Africa that was a war-torn country. And he was up on stage and he was just this black, black, black guy. Like I almost couldn't see him with the black drop. All I could see was this huge white smile. And I was really far back. And he looked at us and he said, you know what? You Americans need to stop praying that we stop experiencing persecution because we are in Africa and the church in Africa is praying that America would experience some persecution because you don't know Christ with intimacy till you've suffered with him and for him. And it was like, I don't know, man, this guy's got a nice big smile. He seems really happy, but I don't, I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that. But all through the Bible, we're we're told that if we follow Christ, we're not greater than him. And he suffered in this earth. But we don't see that in those coffee table books of the promises of God. I'm thankful for Don. He uh, I said something about this and he made a perfect like a beautiful little three by five. It's a it's a daisy in the like a sunflower, like in this field. It's beautiful. And on it, it's a verse. The promise from Timothy saying that if you're uh, if you walk with Christ, you are going to suffer hardship. And I'm like, I love it. So I have it on my desk now. 
But he's saying, if we're children, we're heirs and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him, that a day will come when we're going to depart from this earth. and We're going to stand with Christ either through death or through the rapture. That we'll stand with him in our new bodies, glorified, free of sin and stain. And we look towards that day. Knowing that we're going to stand with him, that's what our motivation is. We live our lives according to that day because one day we will stand before him. And so as we end today, I know it's Father's Day. We, we have a lot of stuff to do. But to, to really to, to know, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? See, from, from a human perspective, it's hard to know. You all look like Christians to me. You're all in church. You're here every week, or most of you are. But that's not what makes you a Christian. And really, it's in your heart. Have you trusted in him? And if you've trusted in him, understand your position with him, that you are a child of his, that you can call the creator of the universe, Daddy, Abba, Father. And how awesome is that, that he's, he's there. Think about how a father acts, a father disciplines in love. A father provides, a father cares for, a father equips you. And that's what he does for us. And so we've been adopted in. Let us live for him. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, um, just knowing that you are our father in heaven. We say this so often, but Lord, we pray that you would help us to grow in our relationship with you, that our, our relationship would be, become as, as, as real and intimate, Lord, as, as, a, as, a health, as a healthy earthly father-son and daughter relationship is supposed to be. Father, that we would walk with you, Lord. Father, we confess that our, our, our flesh is so powerful, Lord, and we just ask that you would help us, Lord, to yield our life to the spirit, Lord, that you would lead us, that you would guide us. Father, that you would set our hearts afire for you. Father, we thank you that it's for freedom that you set us free, Lord. Make us alive in Christ. Lord, we love you. We ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.